Welcome to Sam's Business Growth Show. I'm Sam Dunning, a digital marketing, sales, and business growth evangelist. Tune in and subscribe today as I'll be interviewing business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. You'll be learning their story, how digital marketing has helped them along the way, and exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your own business. And welcome back to the show. I'm excited and delighted to be joined by Kevin Dorsey today. Kevin is a VP of Inside Sales at Patient Pop. He's an Inside Sales top 10 sales leader. He's a top 100 sales coach. Um, he's built teams from zero to 150 plus reps and revenues from zero up to $75 million plus. His, he mentors and consults early, mid and late stage software as a service companies all across the world. Kevin. A warm welcome to the show, my friend. How are you doing? I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. And it's always a little bit humbling to hear things read back to me, right? I go, <laughs> oh, I guess I guess I did do that. Okay, that's cool. So no, man, I'm excited to be here. Excited to dive in and see where this combo takes us. Awesome, man. That's an epic list of achievements. And I'm keen to go through them all with you and learn a bit more about Kevin and some of your business feats. So our audience want to know three main things, really, Kevin. We want to know your top business growth tips your top digital marketing strategies. But before we get to that juicy information, we want to know your story. So we'd love to know a bit more about Kevin Dorsey. So where you grew up, how you got into the business world, and some of the key places you've worked at up until now, and the lessons that you learned, my friend. For sure. All right, we'll keep this short and sweet. Like I grew up um, kind of split between Los Angeles and Wisconsin, um, Madison, Wisconsin, kind of, you know, back and forth um, growing up. So I have like that West Coast style, but a little bit of that Midwest niceness and work ethic to me at this point. Um, I got into sales in college because okay. I honestly, I thought it was the most secure job I could have. And not because like turnover isn't high in sales. I just always knew people were hiring salespeople. So even if I was bad, I kind of figured I could always find a job no matter what, right? And so started dabbling in, you know, door-to-door -door sales or knockoff Cutco knives. I sold multi-level marketing, insurance, like all sorts of stuff, um, personal training. And then personal training is what I did when I moved back out to LA as I ran personal training studios. Oh, that's, that's interesting. When I, okay. That's what I think I really started getting into the psychology of sales, right? And this is why I love recruiting from the fitness industry because fitness, when you sell health or wellness, if you're good at it, you understand you're not selling your product right? You're selling something else. So like no one wants to lose weight. They want to fit into their wedding dress. They want to look good at the high school reunion. They want to be able to play with their kids. And so that was the first shift of like, okay, what is it people really want? It's not the product. And so from there, I started getting to inside sales tech and have kind of worked my way up. And I think a big defining place for me was Snack Nation. Um, so I'd help build out that team from zero to 70 reps. I mean, we went from zero to 20 million in under four years selling snacks in a box, right? And a very challenging product to sell because it's commoditized. There's no tangible ROI, right? And that's where I also really got into marketing. So Andy Mackinson, the co-founder at Snack Nation, he's just a marketing nerd and I'm a sales nerd and we, we bonded. And so we were going to the conferences, we were studying ad copy, we wrote sales letters. I mean, we really got into copywriting. And so that was a big defining moment for me that I've carried to then service Titan, now to patient pop and like the companies I help consult with. So it's been a fun journey, man. I love it. Plenty of ups and downs and we'll, we'll see how far I can ride this train. Yeah, man. So, okay. So the first main business you're in before you're at Snack Nation was in the personal training business. It sounds like KD. And that was where, it, where you learned some key elements in sales in terms of not selling the product. And it sounds like selling the effects or the benefits of the product. Is that right? Yes. So that, that was a big shift. So my, uh, the owners of those gyms and like my first real mentor, like he is who really got me into selling and also into self-development. Like he's, he got me reading and studying, right? You can see these stacks of books. Like this is like a 10th of like my library at this point. Like he really got me into the psychology of sales and influence. And so, um, no, it was a blast, man. And like to learn how to sell the right way, that was fun, right? You sit across from someone and they think they want to lose weight. But as soon as you get them talking about why, why they want to lose weight, that's when the conversation shifts. And that was a big eye opener for me. And it changed my career. Got it. And how did you actually learn that? Was that with the, the people that you were working with, your colleagues? Or was it something you read? Or 
so it was a combination. So it was from the owner of the gym. So when I started, it was him, me, and two other trainers, right? And like 15 clients. I worked with him to grow the first studio to over 200 members. So we opened up a second studio, grew that one up to 200 members. So I was managing the gyms and all the trainers and all of like the sales reps there. So he planted the seed, right? Of like, never, like, they don't want to lose weight. They don't want the personal trainer. No one wants a personal trainer. They want something else. And it's your job to figure it out. So he taught me that. And then I started reading the Brian Tracy's and the Zig Ziglar's, right? The old school, like, you know, like sales, you know, influencers or whatever. And they had the same messages. And that's what really, I think, kind of pushed me out into, um, I don't know, like sales success, but like really starting to see things click. Like predictably, if I could get this person to say this, I knew I could close them. Nice, nice. So it sounds like you, you scaled that at quite a high level. So you were, you, you were running multiple gyms and things like that. Was there any other secrets that you could share with us on how you were able to, to make that a success? Um, I think niching down was a big part of it too, right? And so we, the niche of the gym, the name of the gym was Easy Fitness, right? And we knew who our target market was. We weren't trying to get like the young kids coming out of college. We weren't trying to get the hardcore bodybuilders. We weren't trying to get the athletes. We were working with mostly women, 35 and above, already professional, right? That were trying to lose weight or have more energy or be stronger. And so we really felt like we turned people away. There were, there were people like, I'd be sitting across from doing the sales pitch and going through and going, you know what, we're not the right fit for you. And they'd say, no, like, I really, like, I know you can get me the results. It's like, Mm-mm. like, we're, we're not the right fit for you. And we turn them away. So I think the niching down was a big part of the success. And then dude, just guerrilla marketing. I, I'm sure you're familiar with the, the old school book, but I was going door to door there, putting flyers on doors, cold calling different businesses for referrals, putting referral programs in laundry mats and massage parlors, like just all out guerrilla marketing, doing all the lowest cost things we could to attract clients. Got it. And that's a really interesting point that you raised, Katie, in terms of um, homing in on your niche and then actually turning prospects away. So that's, that's quite an important lesson to learn to really understand your, your ideal customer. And, mm-hmm. and not try and take on all forms of work because it, like, as, as you know, it can cause you problems later along the line. Absolutely. Customer problems. So great stuff. Okay. So after the personal training gig, that went into Snack Nation. Is that right? So, so I went, so actually, no, I went from personal okay. training to fitness equipment sales and I okay. built out an enterprise sales team for fitness equipment. So selling to gyms and hospitals and hotels, like things like that. So I built that out. Um, and that was my first real venture into inside sales, right? Cause I knew I wanted to get away from like, you know, sitting behind a desk because you can only scale that so much. And I wanted to get into inside sales cause then you could do it anywhere. You can be anyone, right? Like you, you could be whatever persona you want on the phone. And so I built out a sales team doing that and that went really well, but the company was super shady. And so I left because like, I just, I couldn't stomach it. Like they weren't, it was the most money I had ever made in my entire life. Yep. But they, they, they were shady. They wouldn't deliver the product. They wouldn't honor warranty. And like, I just couldn't stomach it. So I left and this was the big shift in my career. I left there and joined human. So it was human before it was snack nation. Okay. And I took an, I took an SDR job at human. I had already been managing salespeople. I had already been closing teams. I ran a multi-million dollar small business. Like I'd already been doing a lot of those things. And I took an SDR role because I wanted to get into the company. I was like, if I, if I just get in, I, I believe I'll be able to move up. And so I took that risk and it paid off. I went from SDR to AE in under six months and then manager another six months and then director another six months and then head of and then VP and then helped build out Snack Nation coinciding human, right? So I took that step back because I saw an opportunity that I wanted to see if I could take advantage of, and it, it changed my career. Awesome. So that was quite a bold move, it sounds like, going back to being a sales development representative and then quickly working your way up to, to near the top level, it sounds like. So how were you able to do that so fast? Was it just sheer hard work and activity? Or talk us a little bit through, out, through that, Katie. <laughs> I'm trying to think how to phrase this the right way. Like, yes, it's hard work, but also just being 
good at what I was doing, right? But like, and this is what's different. Most SDRs, that's where they get in to learn sales, right? So they're learning sales while they're doing it. I had been selling for almost eight years at that point, right? So I, I knew how to make a cold call already. I knew how, I knew psychology. I knew how to build a process, right? And so I came in very structured and very professional with what I was doing. In fact, I found this out later down the road, but after my first two months there, um, I had broke a few of the SDR records. They had a meeting about me. The, the other sales reps had a meeting about me. Like, what are we going to do about this guy? Like he's coming in and like doing all of this stuff that we weren't doing. And there was kind of like this, almost like, do we accept him or do we try to get him <laughs> out of here? You know? So you shook them up a bit. So, it sounds like. Yeah. A, a little bit. Right. They hadn't, they hadn't seen someone like me come in and like take it serious and treat it like a real job. Right. So like they didn't have scripts. So I wrote the scripts. They didn't have like templated emails. I wrote all the emails. They didn't have Kate. And so like, it was just a lot of building. And then that's what got me into management very quickly. And then running the org within the first year of me being there. Got it. Got it. Okay, man. So you got to, to was it VPF sales and then you've moved to snack nation or you were doing that at the same time or same time. So human was a healthy vending and franchise company, right? Like, um, fastest growing on Inc 500 Forbes list. Like it was the best healthy vending and market company really in America. And I ran those sales teams. But what we noticed is a lot of the inbound leads we were getting were for companies that were too small for a vending machine. Like they wanted healthy snacks, but we couldn't afford to put a high end vending machine in there and have someone stock it. So there was this crazy idea of like, well, what if we just put snacks in a box and sent it to them? I wonder if people would pay us for that. Right. And so John Pinto, um, one of the, the founding in, like members of human, he started dabbling with it a little bit and then asked me like, Hey, could you help try to sell this a little bit? Well, I already had a 40 person sales team on the franchise and the contract side. Right. We're like, let's try this. And it started to work. And this was more of like a SaaS model business, right? Like the machines, there's overhead, there's all that stuff. This was recurring revenue. We could prospect it, we can go. And so it started to work. And basically I was like, give me three reps in three months. Like, let me see if I can actually make this repeatable. Because it doesn't matter if I can do it or if John Pinto can do it. Like that doesn't count. We need to see if other people can do it. And so we started building the systems out. I think I was one of the first people to read predictable revenue. Like I came out and I was, I was in hand implemented predictable rev stuff before predictable rev was cool, started cranking. And then it was like, this is the plan. So we built snack nation alongside human and then slowly shifted some of the human, the human resources from the <laughs> human side over to snack nation. And then that's, that's what took off. And eventually we shut down human and it was all snack nation. Got it. Got it. Okay. So are there any other strategies that you could perhaps share with us, Kevin, in, in terms of how you were able to look after quite sizable sales teams, how you were able to make sure everyone was hitting their target and hitting KPIs and those kind of things. And what were the, some of the things that you utilized to see such success and, and growth? For sure. So um, I actually, this phrase, technically I think, Derek Jankowski, one of my former manager owns this, but it came from a conversation we were having. And what we were talking about was like, you know, process versus skill. Right. And the way he said it was scale over skill. And I was like, that's exactly what it is. When you have a small team, you can get away with just having skilled people. But if you're trying to grow, you have to have processes in place that allow you to scale, right? Processes are easy to manage. People are not. And so if you were always trying to manage people and there's a thousand different processes, you can't scale. That's why things will fall apart. But if you have solid processes in place, then it's managing people to the process, right? And so that's the only reason why we were able to scale and do both at the same time is because we had a system in place. Like this is what we do. This is what we follow on this side. And then same with stagnation. This is what we're going to do and then go do it. So having systems in place, a lot of early sales teams and even large sales teams, they, they turn into like superstar cultures, right? Okay. Where like you need a couple of superstars to carry the number and then everyone else is kind of like, you know, just hanging out at the bottom. 
that doesn't scale. Like if you have 10 people, one person can make up for the rest. When you have a hundred people, five people can't make up for 95. Like you need to have a really strong system in place. And so that's, that's what I think the other trick or not even trick, just tactic is build repeatable systems and then tweak the systems, teach the people how to run the systems. Don't try to tweak people and get a hundred people to do a hundred different things. Got it. Okay. And I'm sure it's, it's going to be too long to include in this episode, Kevin, but could you shed a bit more light on the kind of systems that you were utilizing there? Are you talking about things like outbound marketing? Are you talking about things like nurturing inbound leads? Are you talking about things like sales follow-ups and stuff like that in terms of the process and systems that you've got in place or is it something else? All of it. Okay. All of it. Every, everything was documented at like when, you know, working with marketing, that SLA, documented i was also one of the first um might have been technically probably not the first i don't know like the contracts. i was one of the first um customers of sales loft cadence right so a lot of people don't understand that sales loft didn't have cadence when they started it was a totally different tool and they rolled out cadence i was one of the first people to buy that too because at the time like the process was in spreadsheets day one day two day four day 11 right it was all across spreadsheets so to take that and put it into place it was a system that we could follow, right? Inbound lead comes here. Let's see how it works. But we also, this is one of my favorites. Um, so we built a direct mail system as well. Okay. And like we, so we, we called it shock and awe and me and Andy Mackinson, like we worked on this day in and day out where it, we did direct mail again, before call it direct mail was cool, but we did it in a way that most people still don't do. Right. So we took direct response marketing and applied it to B to B. Right. So as opposed to like sending you a swag box, you know, that has socks with my logo on it and a coffee mug with my logo on it. Right. We were sending things like a Rubik's cube and saying, you know, figuring out how to keep your team happy shouldn't be this hard. Let's talk <laughs> about how we can talk. But then two weeks later, you'd get another mailer from us. And this one was like a big tube that had a penny in it, right? So it's a big tube, it had a penny in it. So it's loud. It's like, what the hell is this? You open it up and there was a big while you were out notice in there, right? Like while you were out, I was giving you a call trying to help you bring healthier options into your office. You didn't respond nice. to that. Two weeks later, you got a trash can, a little plastic trash can. And in the trash can was the letter, right? So we're like, hey, we already saved you some time. We threw it away for you. Just imagine how much time we could save you in, right? So like we, we applied a multi-touch direct mail process, but it was a system, right? Day one, you called. Day two, you emailed. Day three, you called. No response, trigger direct mail. Call, email, call, email, call, email. Nothing, trigger direct mail, right? And so we built that out and that, that worked like gangbusters. I mean, we almost 3X'd our pipeline using wow. that system and it was amazing. Sounds like a really quirky and different form of outreach especially direct you, you, mail. you have to everyone's cold, everyone's cold calling Every, everyone's doing those well actually no not everyone's cold calling they probably should be but like no people don't think about what it's like to be a buyer right like salespeople think about selling they don't think about buying and if they same with marketers they think about marketing they don't think like they don't think about how it is to be marketed to because like marketers too they look at everything from a marketing angle right? What does this ad say? What's the funnel like? Or the touch points? They forget what it's like just to be a normal person, not understanding marketing and seeing, does this actually attract me or not? Cool, man. Okay. We've learned some interesting things so far and what you've had success with. So what, what happened next for you, Katie? Was that, you built that team right up and then you went to patient mm -hmm. pop. Is that right? Or so I went to service Titan first. So, um, went from, you know, personal training to the enterprise fitness to, you know, human to snack nation, but I still wasn't in tech, right? Okay. As much as snack nation, like we operated like a SaaS company. In fact, we called it a SNAS company, right? Snacks as a service instead <laughs> nice. of software as a service. Um, it still wasn't tech. And it's like, you kind of need that badge, right? And so I went to service Titan and was super excited about that opportunity because one, it got me into tech. But also, I had never sold something that actually had an ROI, like ever in my life, sold something that actually had a, like a tangible ROI, like personal training a little bit, but again, that's like a feeling, 
right? Yes, you lost the weight, but we also found a lot of people can lose the weight and still not be happy, you know? But like, so Service Titan, like a tool that actually had an ROI, like actually was helping plumbers and HVAC, like get more customers and close more deals. I was like, yes, because if I can sell snacks in a box, oh, just give me something, <laughs> right? Just give me something that's got some tangible, you know, ROI to it. And so that was a really fun shift, right? To go and get into tech and then have like a really tangible product. But it was the first time in my career that I only oversaw sales dev, right? Because at Human at Snack Nation, I oversaw sales dev and the account executive team, right? Got it. Okay. I was, I was good at sales dev, right? Like prospecting is where most companies struggle, right? Like just they need more pipeline. So I got really good at pipeline. And so I specialized at Service Titan, but like I felt like a part of me was missing, you know? Like I was creating it all. But then that was it, right? I didn't control the closing side. I wasn't in charge of also making sure the closers were doing what they needed to do and that they were getting better, right? I'm running all this training for sales dev and there's no training for like the AEs, right? And so there was kind of like this missing. It just wasn't the right fit, right? So then from there, I went to patient pop. And so now it's kind of like the best of all the things that I've gotten to do, right? Snag Nation had a really big market and like a cool product, but not a great part. Service Titan amazing product, a little bit of a smaller market to play in, but I didn't have the closing side. Like I missed it. Patient pop, big market, good product, SDR and close. Let's go. Awesome, man. Cool. So we'd love to, now we've gone through your story up to where you are now. It'd be great to take the angle of marketing and some of the digital and perhaps some of the offline channels that you've had success with, Kevin. Perhaps we could start with digital and then move to more outbound and yeah if you could talk us through perhaps some of the the channels you've had the most success with at some of the key companies you worked at and what you also invest in now that'd be great to learn man so when it comes to digital it's definitely a little bit of like multi multi-pronged right so like facebook and linkedin have had a lot of success with in across all the industries um but doing it in a way where it's like its own funnel, right? So like when I'm going outbound, for example, I have emails designed just to get a click, just to get a click. Because if I can get you to the website and you accept the cookies on that website, now those ads follow you everywhere, right? And so what we did at Snack Nation and even out Patient Pop is like we set up really strong retargeting campaigns right? Where like, you're going to see us everywhere. And then combining that with the different channels. So like Facebook ads can be expensive. But if you can do like ungated, we've actually had a lot of success with ungated educational content, which I know goes against a lot of like, you know, no, like collect the email, collect the email. But like, what we're looking for is like, how many times can we get you to look at our content? Right. Cause like we'll, we'll track how often someone's coming back. Right. We use, um, uh, visible, right. Like, all right, how many engagements are they giving us? Um, but we want to see like, how can we get you to engage more before we make that ask? Right. Um, another great tool, um, if you can do it is building some sort of competitive analysis tool for your market. Right. People like, they love to read about other stuff. What they really love is what they can learn about themselves. So like things that work in B2C work in B2B. People just don't think about it. It's so, like quiz funnels, right? Like, do you make these mistakes as an office manager? How does your private practice stand up to your competitors, right? People love to learn about them. So if you can build a tool or an analysis that will give them insight into how they're running their business, right? Like if someone came after me and it's like, hey, our tool does this, our tool does this. Or I saw an ad that says, how does your inside sales team stack up against the best? Oh, well, I'm a little curious about that. Click, right? So I would say as for digital marketing, creating tools or analyses that people can learn about themselves is big. Like the white paper days, like it still works, but white papers have been out there. Ebooks have been out there for a while, right? You can go find that content. People want to learn more about them, right? So webinars are big too. 
I'm a big believer in webinars, but again, bringing it back to B2C versus B2B. B2B webinars tend to be so boring, like so boring when it comes to like the, you know, the product webinar. Um, Jocko Vanderkuj uh, from Winning by Design. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He wrote all the SAS um, blueprint books. Like the, I mean, everyone should go buy all those books. Okay. Um, all right. But he told me something and it stuck with me. He told me this years ago. He said, people want three things. They want information. They want education and they want entertainment. If you can give them all three of those things, you win. Where a lot of companies and marketers go is they give information. Here's what, right? Here's what it does. They don't do a good job of educating. Here's how it actually does it. And here's how you could use it to succeed. But then they completely miss out on the entertainment. Like, can you make it fun and engaging and high energy, right? To keep people on that webinar. So when you do webinars, like the way the B2C does webinars, right? They're, they're fun. They're built to sell. Whereas a lot of marketing webinars, they're, they're built to inform. And yeah, it, it it's, it's a good point. It's a good point, Kevin. I've sat through a lot of webinars that I've seen. I mean, since the pandemic, webinars have just been on the max. They've been flooding in. All you really mm. see on every other LinkedIn post is that we're hosting a webinar tomorrow. And some of them are an absolute snooze fest. It's just mm -hmm. three, three guys or three girls or a mix of guys and girls just talking about their products, boring chat, no real interaction, no entertainment. And I, lo I love what you've just said about informing, educating, and entertaining. Is that, mm -hmm. that sounds like three key things to, to get engagement and get an yeah. ROI. So it's, um, of course, people tuning in will know that we did a um, UK versus USA challenge a little while back, which I believe had a bit of everything, really. It was, it was fun. It had, had questions on For sales. Sure. It, it was informative because we had sales experts talking about what they know best be it outbound marketing, mm -hmm. be it inbound marketing. So yeah, it had a good balance. Obviously I'm biased, but it raises a good point just because there are so many webinars going on right now that really are snooze fests. And, um, yeah. and the beauty of that webinar too, and I'm sure you got some of these messages. I got some of these messages where people were like, what made it great was that we weren't trying to sell anything. Right. But I can guarantee people generated leads off of it because we weren't trying. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know Vanilla Soft got some insight from that. I know Richard and Scott got some like leads from that, right? Like it's because we weren't trying, you know, like we weren't, it was just information, education and entertainment. And then that's what makes people go, oh, well, what, what do you do? Right. We're so busy in marketing and sales, trying to tell people what we do that we don't try to build enough curiosity where they want to know what we do. That's great. That was that was a point I wanted to get onto building curiosity, as um, you, you hinted at it with that that quiz tool about building up mm -hmm. engagement and making people kind of curious as to if their company can stack up against another one and, and finding out information they don't already know basically, so mm -hmm. leading them to click more. So, yeah, that's that's interesting. It'd be great to know any other strategies that you've had success with in terms of building curiosity for, for the companies that you've worked with mm -hmm. to to build up inbound and pipeline, Kevin. So I think, you know, even, you know, we can go all the way back to direct mail, right? That, that creates curiosity, right? Cause it's like, what is this? You know, like what we used to say um, is bad news doesn't show up in a box. Um, <laughs> except for the movie with Brad Pitt was that seven there bad news <laughs> showed up in a box. Oh, yeah. Besides that movie, right? Like when you get a box, like you're actually excited. You're like, what you're already asking, what is this right within the first, when's the last time you got super curious over an email? Right. So it's really, I mean, you can do this though. You can do this even with an email. If the subject line of that email was, Hey, I spoke to your manager. Is that going to build curiosity? If you Absolutely. spoke to one of my managers, I'm like, wait, <laughs> what? Like, okay. Right. People, if this is again to messaging, right. Making it about them builds curiosity. No one is curious about you. No one is curious about me, but if you can put it into the messaging, right? So a lot of our emails for outbound and for inbound, by the way, are very curiosity driven. They're okay. very talking about the prospect, right? Hey, as a doctor, are you dealing with this struggle, this struggle, and this struggle? Like, how are you even able to do this? I know most doctors can't, and it leads to X, Y, Z. Like, let me know if you're struggling with this or not. I didn't even, I didn't even talk about patient pop. I didn't, no value prop, no 
you know, we're the industry leading experts in growth. Like, no, like it was all asking questions to you to again, build that curiosity up, right? So it's things like that. We even send the inbound asset out, inbound asset outbound. Is that a competitive scanner I was talking about? Got it. I'll send that to doctors cold. Like, okay. hey, do you know how you stack up? Click this link, find out. Done. <laughs> you know, and like, how I stack up? We have e emails, cold emails that have 12 to 15% click-through rates. Nice. Like on, okay. a, on a cold email. So in terms of that kind of outreach and building up curiosity, would you say it's important to keep it short and sweet and to the point? Because that sounds like what you're doing. And, and should you not be talking about your product at all or the, the US, USPs or the unique features that your product has to offer? Yeah. So it's, it's funny. There's in life and in marketing, there's no such thing as long and short. There's only interesting and uninteresting, right? So we do both. We'll do a short email, but then also I'll use some longer copy and people will look at it and go, Katie, this email's way too long. It's like, it's way too long for you because you're not the target, right? You and I could probably talk about sales, marketing, startups, entrepreneurship for hours, Sure, hours. <laughs> But if you and I were like, hey, so let's hop on a call to talk about Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. We're, we're not even having that call, right? So it, the length doesn't matter nearly as much as the content, right? If you can tell a really good story in an email, it can be a longer email, but it has to be a story because stories build curiosity, right? Hey, I just got off the phone with one of your local competitors. It was really interesting because they were seeming to struggle with a few things. They were struggling with this and struggling with this and struggling with this. Now, I know that's not unique to them. Most doctors seem to struggle with that. And it's unfortunate. It's not fair. You weren't taught how to do this in medical school. You spent 10 years in medical school. You never learned how to run an ad or what SEO was or what meta tags are or your profiles. We fit like this would be a long email. But to a doctor, they'll read that because it's engaging. It's telling a story that they work with. So I don't like people get caught up on length and they ignore the quality of the content. If you just sent a really bad short email, it's, no, it's just a bad short email. Same with if it's a bad long email. The content is what really matters. Great. That's a great response. Okay. All right, Kevin. So we've covered quite a bit of ground in terms of marketing. So we've talked about Facebook ads. You talked about putting out ungated content. We've talked about building curiosity. So putting together things like quizzes and how to make webinars actually entertaining, provide value up front without an ask. Um, are there any other channels that you've had success with? We've just mentioned email as well. So perhaps you could talk us through about success you've had maybe with outbound calling or mm -hmm. perhaps I know you've got a huge engagement on LinkedIn. So perhaps we could touch on that after as well and how you've built up your community there. Mm -hmm. For sure. So, I mean, we're, we're huge on the phone, right? Like huge on the phone, but um, so Jeb Blount mentioned this on or in his book, fanatical prospecting. I think it was one of the best ways to phrase it. He said, when it comes to prospecting, you need to have an and mentality, not an or mentality. And I've, always loved that because you have people out there that say email or call or social or direct mail or inbound or outbound it's like no it, it's and you call and you email and you send video and you're on their social right so we the way we talk about it internally is be everywhere right so if i'm emailing do you think that also helps my calls? Sure. Absolutely. And if I'm calling, do you think that also helps my emails? Of course. And if I call and say, yo, I just sent you a video. Does that help my video? Right. And if you've been getting followed by my ads for the last two weeks, when I say patient pop, does that help my, right? So it's, it's everything. So we do a lot of calling, but I like to warm almost everything up with a social touch or an email touch, sometimes two touches before the call to start building awareness, right? They've seen the name, they've heard the company, right? Even like in a lot of my emails, the, because I firmly believe, and I have the data to show it, the first sentence matters more than the subject line when sending emails, because everyone, you can read the first sentence without opening the email anymore. 
So, uh, so you mean on your mobile where you see the little, the little pre even in, section? Even in Gmail, even in Gmail on the desktop, Got you it. can read the first 150 to 170 characters. So you could have the world's greatest subject line. But if the first sentence says, hey, Sam, it's Kevin. I'd like to introduce myself as your new local territory rep calling from Superbiz Inc. Delete, right? Yep. It doesn't even matter what the subject line was. But if you can make that first line good, I like to put the company name in the subject line for the first couple emails. So even if they delete it, what have they at least seen once? They've seen the company name. They've seen Patient Pop, right? So when I say, hey, it's KD from Patient Pop, all of a sudden now the brain is like, wait, Patient Pop, Patient Pop. Why do I know Patient Pop? I've heard of Patient Pop. Why? Have, you've seen it a couple of times, but with even deleting my emails, I'm marketing to you. Right. Like you're, you're gonna, what, what, I can't remember the name of the, the band it was like, you're going to remember the name. Can't remember who's saying it. Right. But it's like, you're going to remember the name you've seen it even to delete me. I've gotten just a little bit of insight in there. And so we're huge on the phone, but we're always referencing something, right? Here's what we know about you. Here's what was said in the email. Here are the problems I believe you're already handling. And so with calling, and I've talked about this over the years, but not as much recently. I'm a big believer in calling lower than most people do when they go after accounts. A lot okay. of people, when they're going after accounts, they're trying to come top down, right? One, it's a lot harder to get in touch with a me or a you than it is someone at mid-level or low level. But what's even harder is to get information from us, right? If someone cold calls me or cold calls you and goes, hey, so like, tell me your challenges right now. Like, no, like, I don't know you, so I'm not going to, but if you call the people that your product actually affects, that actually use your product, you can get a lot more information out, right? So you call lower. So there's three levels. You call low for information. Okay. You call middle for insights. You call top for influence. Good. Right. That's what I meant earlier about if the email said, I've spoken to two of your managers and three of your reps. If you sent that to me via cold email, one, I'm guaranteed to open it. But then the content will say, here's what I already know. Your reps are already spending way too much time scrubbing for leads. And your managers are having a hard time corralling them to get the activity numbers up that you're expecting. Our product might solve that. Do you want to chat? Right, like, okay, right? But if you're just coming after me with your templated, I'm trying not to swear, your templated stupid like value prop, hey KD, we help sales leaders 3X their pipeline in under 90 days by our pet. You know nothing about me. So when you're calling, if you're gonna call to the top, you better have spoken to someone at the bottom first because otherwise you're coming in blind. That doesn't work. We tend to see around a 25 to 30% call conversion rate. Like if we get a DM on, we book it to a meeting over 30% of the time. Most people are hovering around 10%. Got right? it. And you'll always cool lower down to get the intel first and then go to the, to the decision maker. Yep. Absolutely. There's no, there's no reason not to, right? Like, and to the SDRs out there, that if you target like VPs, you know, CEOs, like, honestly, it's borderline insulting that you would call me without knowing anything about my business. Like, you don't know anything about my business, so why would you think you could help, right? Call lower. It's going to give you more confidence to call to the top. It's going to make your emails better to the top. It affects everything. Get better insights. Now, in SMB, like for us, like sometimes there isn't someone lower. So we're talking to the office manager, and we're doing a lot of research online. And by a lot of, I mean, like, we look for five things. And then we use those five things. Like we're not going to spend hours researching. Yeah, that's a great point. I was going to ask, Katie, if you could perhaps get that information via LinkedIn or if you could get that via their company website or their blogs or the content that they're actually putting out rather than having to call a sales rep first or someone in mid-management and then go so to it, the DM. It depends. If I post something that you think you can use and apply it to your product, potentially, right? Okay. You, can, you can try it. But again, cool. what people care about are themselves. So which, you know, and I'm a big believer in what's best, right? So if, if you're coming after me, 
you could take one of my LinkedIn posts or you talk to one of my managers. Which one is more likely to get you a response from me? It's going to be the manager because that's in my world. Just because I posted about something on LinkedIn, hey, KD, saw your recent post on a book that you loved. I loved that book too. Superbiz Incorporated is designed to help. Like, no, <laughs> but that's what people do with this personalization at scale. It's like, oh, I read your LinkedIn post. It was great. Want a meeting? No, no, not I quite. Don't. I yeah, don't not quite there. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Well, that, you, you've just given away a nice little secret for anyone who wants to book a meeting yourself. Call, call the management first mm -hmm. and, and get absolutely. you in. Awesome, dude. A absolutely. Cool. So perhaps you could, we've, we've covered some great ground so far in terms of your story, in terms of marketing. Perhaps you could shed a little bit more light in terms of how you've had success on LinkedIn, because I know you've built up quite a following, Kevin, and I know you get great engagement on your posts and you've had good success from there. And I think you've secured quite a bit of new business, if I'm not wrong, from LinkedIn itself. So it'd be interesting to learn how you've been able to build it up to the scale that it is today. For sure. So one, it was just getting started. And I started with I, whatever building a brand way earlier than most people did like way earlier it was almost four years ago that I started right and I just started right sharing an article here or there right like writing and I, you know I got nothing then everyone forgets that people don't remember KD getting one like you know on on his stuff you know four or five years ago um so I did one just started right but I knew who my audience was going to be right back to niching down I was like, salespeople are going to be my audience because also at the time and still to this day, I didn't have anything to sell to salespeople, right? But this is where I think people, especially early on, go wrong with building their brand. So everyone, they see the me and Justin, who I'll talk about a little bit because Justin really nailed this. Justin Welsh, Colin Cadmus, Scott Lease, all of the people with big brands are talking to salespeople. So now all these salespeople coming up thinking to build a brand that they have to talk to salespeople. Someone who did this masterfully was Dale Dupree. So the sales rebellion, right? He built his brand in his industry first. It's made him hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars because he built his brand in his industry by getting well-known there first. And now he's sharing sales insights. So one, it's get started. Two, it's know your audience like know who you're actually trying to be and it doesn't all have to be salespeople. like sdr like you don't need to build a brand around salespeople. what if you built a brand around your industry right being like thought of like wow this person really knows this industry right that's how you're going to book more meetings that's how you're going to really benefit from your brand right um so I'll jump right in there, Kevin, if I may. And I think you yeah. may be able to sh share some help on this. So let's say I'm in an, an obscure industry. I'm going to say gardening, for example, because I did a post on it this morning on LinkedIn. So let's say, <laughs> oh, okay. let's say I run a, a small agricultural gardening business. So I, I, I mow people's lawns. I do their hedges. I make their gardens look super nice and uh, pretty. So how could I perhaps go about that if I was from, from that kind of background? So I'm not, I'm not appealing to salespeople necessarily. My audience is a lot different. All right. So I just Googled gardening tips. Right. I just Googled gardening tips and 2.5 billion results show up. Right. So now if I look at gardening groups, there's a meetup group I'm talking about all the largest gardening groups, the 10 biggest online gardening communities. Right. So what people get twisted is brand versus channel. Right. If you're trying to build a brand in gardening, don't do it on LinkedIn. Right. LinkedIn is not building a brand. Right. So if I were building a brand in gardening, I would be going in Jordan Garden Web, Permies, Tomatoville, Cacti and Succulents, Flickr, Carnivorous Plants and Garden Stew. And every day I'd be spending one to two hours commenting and responding, giving tips and tricks, right? Someone posts something and I know the answer, I comment. If I don't know the answer, I go and find the answer and I comment, right? I'm starting to build a brand where the people already are, right? And if I do that enough and then people are going to start reaching out like, hey, like, how did you learn this? Hey, what do you do? Back to curiosity. If all of a sudden I'm in all these groups and I'm just dropping knowledge, Eventually, someone's going to be like, what do you do? Oh, well, I run a, a gardening business. 
this is what we do. Like we, we have a, an ebook that like helps with this. Like, do you want to check it out? Love it. Love it. Love and it, it. Costs, it costs, it, and it would cost no money, zero money. Right. That's how you, you know your audience, but you go to where they are. People are trying to build their brand on LinkedIn when their audience isn't on LinkedIn. It doesn't work that way. Great point, man. And, and tried to catch you out there, but didn't work. So, um, yeah. <laughs> no, that's amazing. Exactly. So if, if you're, if your ideal audience, like, like we said, in your gardener, uh, chances are you're dealing direct with consumers and the, the likeliness of them being on LinkedIn is very, very low. Right. So that's, mm-hmm. that's great advice. Go to where your audience is. Awesome. Okay. Well, I think we've, we've hammered out some, some great stuff so far, Katie. And um, what I would like to know is if there's any habits that you follow. So if you've got any daily habits that you found have been really influential and helped your success. Um, for sure. So actually, I posted about this a while back. It's called Germs, which was a great name until this whole COVID nonsense. So now I got to try to come up with a new acronym, but it was called Germs. And it stands for gratitude, exercise, reading, meditation, and sleep. Right. Those are like the core fundamental habits that I try to practice, because if I can do those things, everything else gets better. Right. If I'm writing down what I'm grateful for every single day, if I'm reading every single day, if I exercise every single day, if I meditate and I get good sleep, sometimes the S also stands for sauna. Like I'm a big believer in sauna, like getting like just like the sweat out. Oh, I love this man after a gym session. Uh, Shame I can't get Oh, up. man. So it, well, one of the, one of the best investments I've ever made is I got a sauna for my apartment oh, dude. and it is well, indoors. one of the, yep. Indoors. Oh, indoors. Nice. Like I would flip it around, I would jack up my whole setup here, <laughs> but like it's right, it's right there. I can see it. And it is amazing. One of the best. And like, this That's is awesome. like, you know, I upgraded there's ones on Amazon for like 200 bucks and you sit in the box and you sit there and you just get drenched. Right. So, but those, those are the, the habits, right. Of like, and I really try to practice those. I'm not perfect. Right? Like I'll fall off often. I'm a human being, right. Like work gets in the way, family gets in the way, right. Like you just lose track of it, but then I can, I notice it immediately. Like when I stop, it only takes like three to four days before I'm in more of a negative mindset where I'm a little bit snappier, where I'm not as patient, right. Like I can feel it almost immediately. And it's like, Oh shoot. Did I get away from my habits? I did. Right. Like it's posted right up on my board here. Germs every day. Right. Like, and those are the habits I wish I could get more people to do because if they did like their careers would benefit. It's not just about like the self, your career benefits too, but more than anything, you're just better. You feel better. Right. So germs, gratitude, exercise, reading, meditation, and sleep focus on those habits. It affects everything. You heard it. People follow the germs. Follow those germs. Follow, follow those germs, not, not the other germs. <laughs> stay, stay away from the other germs, but follow the KD yeah. germs. Cool, man. Yeah. Um, all right, Katie, what's one thing that people should be doing with digital marketing that's going to benefit their business from today? Get in the brains of your prospects. Understand your prospects. Interview them. Talk to them. Go to where they hang out, right? Like, marketers and salespeople, we say things that our prospects don't. We, disca- we describe our products in ways that our prospects don't. You need to understand your prospect way better because if you did, it would change the way you market to them, right? I, I, this, I think this actually was my post yesterday. I call it the long day at work test. If you can't picture your prospect getting done with a long day of work, sitting down at the table, pouring a drink, taking a deep breath and going, God, I wish I had blank. If they're not sitting down and taking a deep breath and going, God, I wish I had an all-in-one practice growth platform. You're marketing the wrong way, right? Marketers love to use language that our prospects don't. Right. And so here's what I'll I'll leave y'all with. I recommend every marketer and every salesperson does this. Go and call 30 of your customers. Right. And if you don't have customers, go on these forums and start getting in touch with people. But you ask them these questions. Right. What problem were you hoping to solve with our product? Why did you buy it? What were you worried about before buying it? What's changed the most since you've bought it? What's your favorite? part, what could we do better? If you ask those six things, 
do you think your marketing copy is going to get better? If all of a sudden you start describing your product the way your prospects do, and you start talking to the unspoken problems, right? The things that they won't share with you. But if your ad copy started to call that out, right? You might be worried about whether or not my gardening supplement might kill your plants. I don't understand that. Plants are like kids to some people. But here are all the steps we've taken to make sure that it doesn't. And here are people that are worried about the same thing, but they move forward anyway, and now they're enjoying the benefits of it. I'm about to go start a marketing company for gardening <laughs> right now. Right? So, so get, good, to, get, to, get to know your prospects. Get to Love know that. them because it'll, it'll make you a better marketer. Love those points. And like you said, there's no one better to ask than your existing customers that already know, like, and trust you. So they're, mm-hmm. they're going to be happy to open them up because you've already given them a, a good service. You've already helped them out. They've probably seen your ROI. So that's awesome. All right, everyone, you've been tuning into Sam's Business Growth Show, where we sit down with business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. We find out their story, how digital marketing has helped along the way, and their exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your business. Kevin, if you could thank just one person, either dead or alive, having a positive influence on yourself and your career, who would that be and why? Ooh, one, one person, I got to thank my mom. Gotta thank my mom, you know, like growing up wasn't, wasn't easy, you know, broke in home, moving around a lot, you know, two, two sons, me and my brother mixed race. Like I have to, I have to shout out my mom. I would not be where I am today without her. And so, yeah, that, that's gotta be where my thanks go. Awesome, man. Tell us a bit more about yourself, your company, how people can connect with you and the best way to get in touch, Kevin. For for sure. So again, Kevin Dorsey, I'm the VP of Inside Sales at Patient Pop right now in Santa Monica. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Like I, I post there almost every single day. It's my only social channel. I don't have Instagram or Snap or Twitter or TikTok or anything. Like I have LinkedIn. Um, I also did just start a Patreon page, like a private group community where I'm doing a little bit more than just like a 13 char- 1300 character post. Like I'm putting training content. So you could look me up on Patreon as well, Inside Sales Excellence. And I'm, hopefully, I'm happy to chat with anybody about sales. I love it. Awesome, dude. Kevin, thanks so much for coming on. Awesome, man. This was great. Are you tired of constantly hunting for new customers? You could be missing out on regular inbound opportunities, all because your website isn't on the first page of Google. Perhaps you're already spending lots of money on advertising, but your website is failing to convert all of your hard-earned visitors into a consistent flow of new customers. If you'd like to learn more about our unusual approach that brings idle clients straight to you, connect with Sam Dunning on LinkedIn or book a free 20-minute consultation via webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Subscribe today for more digital marketing, sales and business growth tips from the experts.